What is up? It's the King James Gossip Fan Sided's Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. I'm Doug Patrick, and the intro is a little different because the show is a little different because Joe Brett is not here. On the other line is our site expert, Nathan Beagle. How you doing, Nathan? I'm good. I'm good. Glad to be here. Glad that you have me. Yeah, yeah. So Nathan actually ran this podcast before, so it's kind of like all coming back together. It's full circle. Yeah, we did, uh, what, we did 18 episodes, and you guys have definitely picked up the slack. Good to see it uh, <laughs> back in action, thriving. We're trying. <laughs> so uh, so on today's pod, we're going to talk about potential starting lineups. We're just going to kind of see where our conversation goes from there. We're going to talk a lot about the progression of this team, um, potentially about the identity that this new Cavs team could have. And then at the end, we're just going to run down like our top eight, top nine teams in the East and just kind of see where we think the Cavs uh, stand right in there. Which you'll definitely want to be listening for. It's going to be a good conversation. 100%. So uh, let's just talk about potential starting lineups. Nathan actually wrote an article recently about three lineups that he kind of dreamed up. And I thought one of the most interesting parts about this article is that in all three lineups, he had um, Hoodman, or Hood and Osman playing like the two and three respectively. And I thought that was interesting. And the reason being is it seems like you're super high on Chetty Osman. Can, can you say something about that? Well, I think uh, for me, I didn't, I saw him in the summer league. I watched the first two games where he played. 20 points per game is like high assist numbers, good rebounding numbers. He's really tenacious on the defensive end like we saw last year. So all that combined, and he's 23, 24, I think the teammates like him, the fans like him, I think coaching staff likes him. Obviously LeBron and all the stars still like him. And oh, I yeah, that picture. Yeah, I think uh, – I think their team's kind of shifting towards the younger model. Obviously, they'll still try to compete with Kevin Love, but uh, I think also he's the only clear three, really. Rodney Hood's only played the two both seasons, or at least that's what he's listed as. J.R. Smith, he's not really athletic enough, per se, anymore to play the three, and like he's he'd be smaller against opposing threes. I mean, think about him going up against, like, who's a three in the East? Jeez. I mean, even like Aaron Gordon or something like that. Like that would be kind of scary for yeah, us, Aaron Gordon versus J.R. Smith is not an ideal matchup. Not at all. Well, I guess like the reason why I even bring up Osman is I, I was recently listening to another pod and they kind of talked about how like, do you think Cavs fans kind of need to temper their expectations about Chetty? I mean, I think he's going to be the next most improved player, but that's a lie. But I, I really do think that a lot of people are putting Chetty up on this pedestal and they might be like sorely disappointed come this next season. So what do you think like an ideal year for Chetty is uh, realistically? Realistically for Chetty, I would expect probably like, I think if we're going with like what I'm hoping, I'm hoping for like 14 a game, six rebounds and like three assists. I think that's pretty realistic too. I think he'll get the minutes. Corver. They could start him. I think I may have mentioned starting Corver in that article somewhere. You had him in a lineup that consisted of Hill, Hood, Osman, Corver, and Love. Yeah, I just don't really see Corver as that starting. I think he's kind of like the niche, the unique type of let's just throw Corver in there and create all these mismatches everywhere. But like, you're not going to see Corver starting anymore, I don't think. He's not going to play 30 minutes a night like Osman can. And I think the lack of competition at the small forwards just what brings Osman to the forefront. I don't I do like Osman a lot as a player. And he's not yeah. I don't think 
if people's expectations is, hey, Osmond's going to go out there and he's going to give you 25 points and he's going to fill LeBron James's complete void, then that's <laughs> that's not going to happen. I mean, we know that. But I think we saw an improved shooting stroke. I think during the summer league, it was 20 points a game. We saw confidence there. Sure. And uh, I definitely think he'll at least get the starting role. I'd be very surprised if he didn't. Uh, see, I would be too. And I really think Osman needs just like a little more space around him. I, I really like um, the – you had this first lineup of Hill, Hood, Osman, Love, and Nance. I think that's a great lineup, especially for Osman. I think Hood still commands enough respect around the perimeter that people would – you know, play him tightly there. You're not necessarily going to be playing off of him because he could explode if he gets the ball past you. And I, I would really love to see Osman like drive into the lane a little bit more. In that stretch in February where he started, I really felt like he was just attacking the basket a lot more than he usually does. And I, I think I think Chetty's playing best when he's getting to the free throw line, which I think is an interesting idea just because, you know, he, he really doesn't get to the line that often. Um, and even when he does, he didn't shoot it that well this, this his first year. I think that's going to improve, though, just as he gets more touches at the line. What do you think about Chetty, though, driving and stuff like that? I, I think a lot of people just think of him as kind of this 3 and D archetype that could maybe progress. But I, I would honestly like him to work on that part of his game a little more. Well, one thing that you uh, did mention and one thing that I think was kind of nice is I just was looking the stats up earlier today in preparation. And Osman, he had a nine-game stretch where he started, like you said. You mentioned a stretch. And he doesn't see too many minutes throughout the entire season, but he saw at least one game. He had 38 one game. He neared 30 another game. And check this out. These will shock you. Nine points per game, three rebounds, 1.3 assists. Mediocre, right? For starting three, it's all right. It's fine, yeah. Now check this out. 54% shooting, 46% from three, that's that's kind of on another level. And if that's what he gets this year and he only gives you 12 points a game, I'm content. Like, I'd be very happy with that. I think an efficient Osman is the ideal Osman because I, I, I don't think he's got the athleticism necessarily. And that just might be because he's Turkish and I'm just automatically thinking that. Mm-hmm. But I just I don't necessarily think he's got the the athleticism to be the kind of guy who's putting a ton of pressure on the defense with his dribble. So I think having him be efficient all around the field is where you want him to be. Um, but what I'm saying about him driving is just, I think when he's putting pressure on the defense and they have to be guarding him up close against the perimeter, cause he's threatening to shoot. And if he can put the ball on the floor here and there, I, I just think his whole game opens up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely, it would definitely open up a lot more. And I'm looking just on basketball reference where I get most of my stats from, and uh, 25% of his shots were within that three-feet range, which is typically where, like, the the mid-range, the pull-up game is kind of a forgotten art. So, like, when you drive, you're trying to get to the rim. Exactly. And he shot 76% on such shots. Pretty good, right? That's good, yeah. But that's significantly better than a player, like, we would think a player as athletic like Victor Oladipo shot under 70%. So I think just all around, I'm ready for Osman to break out, but that breaking out is going to come with, I mean, the pains of he's going to get to the rim and he's going to make some clumsy mistakes. Just like, I think it's the same with Sexton though. Like from what I've seen with Sexton is he'll, he's going to jump in the air three feet behind the basket and he's going to create at least like two turnovers a night doing that. You just know it's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. 
But I think in the pick and roll, he could be very good because he can. Uh, he should be able to attack. He's going to be more athletic than Biggs, and he should be able to take him off the dribble very well. I mean, I'm an all-around fan of his game, but like I said, going- he's also got like a he's got a lot more shake than I think people realize to his game. I mean, he can he can he's got a little crossover to his game. Yeah, going from 11 minutes per game to like 25, 30 is going to be a big shock for him, but we'll see how he can transition to it. Hopefully, it's better than I expect. The the other guy I wanted to talk about too that I and I think I'm the most interested actually out of all of the young Cavs is Larry Nance Jr. I, I really think he could turn into something special. Um, he's talked about wanting to bring the ball up a little more. He's talked about wanting to be a facilitator. He's definitely going to shoot way more from the mid-range this season, I'm predicting. And I think like an ideal Nance Jr. could become something that looks like a light version of Blake Griffin or, um, or even like Julius Randle. Uh, wh- what do you think about that? Oh, geez. Maybe this is just me, and I think I'm going to kind of piss everyone off with this, but I'm not a Larry Nance Jr. fan. Why is that? What about him? I See, I lo- I really like him. Because this is kind of what I see. I was kind of looking up for the stat here, but a lot of a lot of his things are like just off pick and rolls and off of really good passes, and that's great, but without LeBron, I'm just not sure he's going to have the thrive in him that he had. I mean, he's never been a double-figure scorer an option. He's never necessarily been a focal point of an offense. He's kind of like a Tristan Thompson if he could get the mass minutes. But obviously he's more athletic. I just I don't see him as a shooter. I don't see him as a dribbler. I don't necessarily see him as a terrific post player. I don't know. I don't, I don't see really – this sounds bad to say, and I don't necessarily love saying it about a Cavalier, but I don't see too much like super potential. And he, I don't think he's his dad. Yeah, well, definitely not. I, I agree with that. But I, I don't know. I think I think Nance Jr. has enough defensive potential there to warrant giving him some like chances on the offensive side. So, like, obviously Thompson had a had kind of a crash and burn year last year, but I, I do think it's interesting that with Nance, the Cavs were five point four points better with him on the floor, and with Thompson, they were seven point seven points worse. You know, so Nance Nance was. He was good on the offensive side. This is looking at, uh, you know, definitely opponent offensive rating mostly because Nance does kind of hurt the offensive rating of the Cavs when when he's on there. But so does Thompson by even more. Um, and that's kind of what happened with Nance in the playoffs, I think, is he, he lost a lot of his playing time because he was really stalling the offense more than Thompson even was. Um, so I can I can understand what you're saying, too, just about, seeing a low potential in Nance, especially at the offensive end. But I, I don't know. I, I like the way he looks when he's got the ball in his hands, uh, dribbling. Um, he's, he's a little clumsy still, or at least was this last past season. Yeah, I feel he's very mechanical. Yeah, I, I can see that. But, I mean, even in the finals, they were kind of trusting him to shoot some of those mid-range shots. I, I don't know if you remember, at least I remember, there, there were a couple pick and pops they ran for him. It looks like they have some trust in his shot. Yeah, I would typically agree with you on that. He shot from here, from basketball reference again, he shot 17% of his shots from 3 to 10 feet, under 30% shooting from there. There's just, I mean, Blake Griffin, his first year, averaged 22 points and 12 rebounds. Obviously, that's not the same Blake Griffin. He's lost some of that athleticism. But I think Larry Nance Jr. is really going, I think the one perk about Nance Jr. is he's significantly better, in my opinion, than Thompson for this team this specific team without LeBron James and Jeff Green. Oh, I agree 100%. So yes. this specific team, I want Larry Nance Jr. on the court. 
And back in 2018, USA Today posted on how Kevin Love, we all know he wants to play the power forward position instead of the center position. And I think they clearly made their move with signing Kevin Love to that extension, and they clearly want him to be the focal point of the offense. So they're going to put him in situations where he's comfortable. And if he's comfortable being the four, not the five, that opens up those minutes for the five. And I think Zizek could get some minutes, and I think Nance Jr. could too, but I don't think we're going to see any small ball. And the small ball is kind of what a lot of Cleveland did last year. So I think for those lineups I did, I kind of I think I tossed one small ball in there just because did, the small yeah. ball lineups are just so attractive compared to like starting a Nance Jr. or Thompson. But I just don't think for this team it's going to be a realistic uh, – realistic option unless they're kind of forced to by an opponent so i i know i totally get what you're saying about small ball lineups one of my ideal things though would be if the Cavs tried to go super long like i i think they have the personnel to do it too i mean so you're basically saying the ideology of what geez it's fizdale right fizdale in new york when he said that he wanted to play that super massive lineup with uh did you hear about that with porzingis at the three Knox at the two and then, that sounds like, nuts. Mitchell Robinson at the five, I think they have him, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then someone else at the four, and it was, like, everybody is, like, everyone's wingspan, and for, including Natalita, was, like, over, like, 6'10 or something crazy. <laughs> well, I, I was just thinking back to uh, – do you remember um, when OKC went 3-1 over the Warriors in 2016? Yeah. Like, they, they played that super long lineup, and it really gave, you know – the Warriors a, a ton of fits, um, and I think I think there is a place for you know super long ball. But I, I was going to say like I think Sexton is smaller for a point guard, but I think if you put him in there at the one, had a guy like Osman playing the two, and then you if if Nance can shoot, if if he is able to get a shooting stroke, I really love Nance maybe playing that three spot. You get Love at the four, and then Thompson as like a you know just an anchor for rebounding i mean you got love thompson and nance in there this is all predicated on the idea that nance could shoot and actually open up the floor because if you have nance and thompson in there and nance is still shooting the way he did last year i mean love also there's no way in the world we well none of our bigs are that versatile that's my thing is porzingis maybe nance jr but kevin love is certainly not maybe porzingis could go and guard the three and maybe rudy gobert or clint capella could do a really really good job at guarding the three but Thompson and G- and Kevin Love for consistent long haul periods of time would not be very good at that. They're just not athletic enough. Yeah, like it's crazy that Thompson is the same size as like LeBron, and he just he looks like he's just having such a tough time out there guarding that lateral quickness. But I exactly. think Tom- I'm honestly I think I'm against everyone else on this, but I think Thompson's out for I think he's gonna have probably the best year of his career. Really? Why do you think that? Tell I've me. just seen some videos of him. He was running some five on five with. Ben Simmons the other day and I've just been seeing some of the some of the things that he can do that he necessarily hasn't always had the ability to do because he's had Kyrie and LeBron on his team where he's never been the focal point and I just feel like he'll have a pretty good season because he may finally get the post touches where he may not have a great post game but he's going to be thicker than most people and he can power his way in sure yeah I was actually going to ask you I I thought you were pretty low on Thompson like if I were just to guess because in that lineups article he didn't he didn't crack it and I like in my mind I I think the starting lineup opening day is going to be Hill J.R. Smith Osman Love Thompson is what I would assume Lou's gonna throw out I like that lineup but that lineup would get 
destroyed. <laughs> I just don't think like there's no playmaking on that lineup. Like Kevin Love isn't necessarily going to blow by everyone anymore. Tristan Thompson's not going to do his thing. Maybe if J.R. Smith, I've seen some of his works out workouts this uh, off season. Maybe people could shock me, but I feel like our only consistent, like really good pick and roll threats would be on the bench with those lineups. Yeah, I, see, I just think Lou trusts his old guys. Like he, like he's always shown that. Although it's always been in a different context. Well, that's what he went to in the postseason. Like late in the postseason against Boston, he was like, "We'll play Love, Smith, Thompson, Hill. We'll play the guys that are veterans." Exactly, and I, I think he's got kind of an affinity just for the guys he really trusts. I, I, like we just don't know until it happens because we've never seen Lou coach a team like this. I, I think it's going to be so interesting to see how much he trusts young developmental guys because. I mean, so far, he, he definitely gave Osman that stretch. Uh, that was really cool where they were just waiting for the guys to, you know, come over, guys like Clarkson, guys like Hood. Osman performed well, so he left him in. That, that's like a big thing, I think, a hint to show that Lou is, you know, dynamic in his lineup choices or can be. But I think it's going to be such an interesting season with just seeing what kind of coach Tyron Lou is. I, I, I want to at least, like, talk about this for a minute or two. What do you think about Lou as a coach? Do you, do you think he's going to last through? I, I definitely think he's lasting this year. Um, I almost don't even think it's a conversation. I, I would doubt that they they fire him this year. If you if you think otherwise, I'm happy to talk about it. But how long do you think Lou's going to last? Um, I think he's not the best situational coach, don't get me wrong. But I think he's a very good people person. And I think sometimes it's what you need as a coach. Obviously, you need a person that has the basketball IQ, but I, I mean, I like Lou. I've never had a huge problem with him. I think clearly this team will be the team where we really see his coaching style like manifested. Mm-hmm. Like We've never really seen him purely lead a team. We've, he's always had like LeBron, obviously, or he's had Kyrie to bail him out too. And last year kind of had its struggles. I mean, every season we've had has had midseason struggles. But uh, yeah. I think the way he adapted with all the new players and all the personnel, I think that's commendable. I mean, I definitely think I think the management likes him too. So it wouldn't I do Yeah, too. so it wouldn't uh I think he'll stay on. He's better than the market right now. I mean, I would have really li- I think when people were pushing to have Fizdale over Lou, I think if that would have been an off-season move, I actually would have really liked it. Just really like Fizdale. I like Fizdale. So uh Don't rook us. Yeah. So uh <laughs> I mean, if that would have happened, that would have been cool, but I don't I think Lou's here to stay for at least the short-term future. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely. He's also, like, built up a lot of goodwill winning that championship. I mean, it would be tough to put out, like, a – I think it would be tough to put out that report that, like, we fired Lou. You know, like, that's a the, – the first line in that report would be, you know, Cavaliers coach, first one to ever win a championship for the franchise, comma. You know, it would be tough yeah. to, to put that I mean, that it's out happened there. before. Look at – uh. Look at Budenholzer with, not however you say his name, yeah, Budenholzer with Atlanta. Yeah. He was there when they were winning 60 games a season or 50-plus games a season, and then snap your team. Even Dwayne Casey. Your team loses in free agency. Yeah, Dwayne Casey's a great example too. It's like, well, Dwayne Casey, that was just a bit ridiculous, I think. That's not his fault. No, and we're going to talk more about uh, Dwayne Casey, I think, a little bit later with the uh, the East rankings. But, um, yeah, I, I, I do get – I think maybe what I'm saying is a little what I'm saying is overstated about the roughness of putting that sort of that sort of report out. Um, although it, I think the Cavs would definitely get some criticism about it if they had you know if they had looked prior um, or this off season, you know. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, uh, I think there's. Yeah, I just don't. I think I like Lou. <laughs> so I guess one of the last guys I really want to talk about is um, David Nwaba. I think people have kind of forgotten the fact that the Cavs signed him, which is, you know, understandable. It's David Nwaba. I, I think he's a great cutter. Um, he's a good inside shooter, obviously a super high potential defender. I think he's got like a seven foot wingspan, but he's only six, four granted. He has never really shot the three point shot ever. Like he doesn't even shoot that many of them. He's never really tried it. He has like decent percentages from it, but that's only because he, you know, when he shoots them in the rare occasions, he sometimes hits them. Where do you see Nawaba on this team? I, I really hope he gets a lot of minutes just because I would love to see them try to develop him and maybe even turn him into a 3 and D wing. I, I think there's potential in it. Uh, we just don't know what his shooting stroke looks like. Obviously, he's apprehensive to shoot them, or at least he's been told not to. But, yeah, I, I just want to – where do you think Nawaba is going to get to in this season? So, coming into, like, the preparation for the pod, I knew we were going to chat about Nawaba. And I think Nawaba's a really good – I think he's a really good piece. I think in the minutes that he'll get, which I think will only be about 15 a night, He's going to play like that Sam Decker role like if he can stay on the court and if he can produce he'll still be on the court at the end of the at the end of the game and he'll consistently get minutes. Sure. He just needs to prove he needs to prove that he is a better off the second unit option than Jordan Clarkson. Yeah. Oh, I I'm I'm really low on Jordan Clarkson. Other listeners of the previous pods know that, but I I would hope that Nawaba gets gets a lot of minutes and definitely becomes a reliable part of the second unit. And I think I think you have to play him with two guards or at least two wings that can shoot so that he can cut. So I guess th- this is sort of related to Nawaba, but like, do you think, could you see them playing Hill a little bit more at the two guard and letting someone like Sexton or, I mean, I could even see them maybe letting Hood get some more primary ball handling in there. Although he's not a great facilitator, he kind of gets the blinders on. But yeah, I, I don't know, like, what kind of lineup do you think Nawaba would fit on, I guess is what I'm asking. I think Nawaba would primarily, I mean, let's remember he was 35% from three, which isn't great. He he, bar- he didn't even shoot one a game, but it's at the very minimum, it's respectable. Yes, so I agree. I think, I don't think he would necessarily play alongside like a sec or alongside a hill. I think it would be alongside Sexton. And I think, I think a Nawaba Sexton love Osman Nance lineup would be pretty interesting. It would have some shooting, some... That's a good defensive lineup. Yeah, that's a really gritty lineup. I See, that, that's kind of what I wanted to get into next, was just the fact that I really think this Cavs team could build themselves on and pride themselves on defense. I, I think they've got so many pieces that are long and like built the right way to play defense. And um, although, like, yes, LeBron carried us to the finals without a doubt, I think there were some parts about having LeBron on the team that made it kind of toxic uh, as far as the defensive side of the ball. I mean, I still remember, I think it was against the Mavericks where he has his hand on his hips and someone, I think it's like Dennis Smith Jr. literally dribbles right past him and dunks. And I I think seeing your very best player who is like the greatest of all time, at least top two ever, not caring that much on defense makes the rest of the team not care that much on defense. Maybe that's overstated. Obviously, I'm not in the locker room. I don't know what they thought of that kind of thing. But I, I would just really love to see this team become a lockdown defensive team and build through that. You know, like 
pride themselves on the defensive end, find players that are good at defense, and then hope that the offense comes from that. I, I think you can teach shooting, but you can't necessarily teach the athleticism and the the sort of not the effort, but maybe the drive to play on defense. What do you think about that? Oh, I think that's kind of cool that you mentioned that because that's almost what I forget who I called the other day. I think I called Sexton it, but like you love seeing people that like embody the city. And like when you think of Cleveland, you don't think of like the nightlife and the shining. You think of like, you think of like the grit and the hard work and the, and if they built their team around defense, that's exactly what kind of like the city's known for is got to grind through times and we got to. Oh, a, a lunch, lunch pail yeah, team. Yeah, exactly. And the one thing I wanted to hit on Nwaba before we get back to that is um, you mentioned the on-court, off-court and the plus-minus earlier a bit. And I think the one thing that stuck out to me when I was looking at stats about Nwaba was he's been on two really bad teams. The 16-17 Lakers yeah. and the 17-18 Bulls both sucked. <laughs> they were <But> bad. <laughs> for the Lakers, he had a plus 9.1 on-court, off-court, and he had a plus two for the Bulls, even while the on-court was actually minus 6.4, he was a better option. So I think that's, yeah. at the very least, it's kind of like, it kind of gives you hope, in my opinion. So Yeah, and Nawaba just got like such a big athletic, even though he's only 6'4 body, though, like, I just think he's he's got like a football body almost, and I think him playing – I would love to see them try to play him at the three um, to guard, you know, small forwards, bigger dudes, even though he's a little bit shorter just because he's got that long reach. And, like, I think he would have the speed to be able to keep up with guys with, you know, longer, um, you know, spans of being able to move quicker and that kind of thing. I, I just think he could really stay in front of those kinds of guys and take a lot of pressure off someone like Osman, off someone like him. Yeah, oh, for sure, definitely. I think he's he was a good pickup, and like you said, I think he's very, very forgotten too among the people um, among such a deep front court or back court. Yeah, I agree. So I guess the next thing I want to talk about is just zeroing on um, zeroing in on uh, Rodney Hood. So where are you at on him? Like talks have stalled with the contract. It looks like he wants less years and more money for a kind of showcase season. I am like I think the percentage of him staying with Cleveland is super low, even if they do sign him. So I just want to know, like, what are your thoughts about Hood? Like, like, do you have a threshold of where you wouldn't want to pay him a certain amount of money? I I don't know. I guess I'm just worried that we're going to give him this year and it's just going to kind of be pointless because he's just going to leave, turn around and leave us in a year or two. So so where where are you at? On I'm going to lose my mind if we pay him more than like 15 million. Yeah. Oh, I I would I have a lower threshold than you. I was going to say like 12 million. He does he has not this past season really He's significantly him. better than Jordan Clarkson. He's significantly better than JR Hood and Tristan Thompson who all three of them make double figure millions. I don't think it's out of the question to give him like 12, but man, I just think for him personally, if he doesn't want to stay in Cleveland, he should just Sign that qualifying offer because I think Cleveland knows there's a couple options that Hood can take. He can either accept that offer or I don't really know what other – Cleveland's not going to play short-term ball with him. They're not going to give him a one-year contract or at least it would shock me. It, yeah, it would really would shock me because they can – he basically has to accept the $3.4 million offer. No one else wants him. I mean the market is dried up no. completely. Yeah, I mean I think if – 
if somebody else wanted him, I think we would have heard the number and the years that Cleveland was offering him. But it's still, it's remained exclusive. You know, no other team has put out a report of what they've offered him. Thus, the Cavs don't have to put out their offer. I knew there was some, there was something with the Kings, but then they were able to snag, I, f- I believe his name's what, Bialicha from the Sixers after he like yeah. verbally committed there or something. And then like something weird about visas or something. Said he wanted to go spend yeah. time with his family and then sign long term in Sacramento. I don't know. It was really weird. I mean, they were also trying to make a splash on Zach Levine, which kind of screwed the Bulls over. Although, I mean, the Bulls wanted to keep not him, but probably not for the yeah. number that they gave him. Yeah, I, mean, I don't want Levine yeah. for that much. That's money a Jordan either. Clarkson type offer. That's not. It's not ideal. Not at all. But I, I guess like. Yeah, you can make the Paul George comparison where it's like you got to get his foot in the door for the for the chance of keeping Hood, who who I am kind of high on. I like Hood a lot. I like I really do think um, he's kind of just had a bad. He's never had a great context, you know, like in Utah this year where he was finally supposed to be like kind of the the lead scorer. Donovan Mitchell, of course, you know, bursts on the scene. He comes to Cleveland, and obviously he's not hes not even going to be in the top three of usage rate in Cleveland because you got LeBron, you got Kevin Love, you've got a slew of point guards that you're using, and then and he came in late, so it's hard to integrate him, especially at a high usage rate, and he was 10th on the team in usage rate this past year. And I, I do think when you give Hood more usage rate, it's kind of like an Oladipo situation, or at least I'm predicting that, where he's going to just get better numbers and kind of more efficiently. And he's just going to help the team more at the same time. Is it necessarily worth giving him that sort of ability to develop? If you know, he's not going to be on your team long-term, like doesn't it almost make more sense to give those kinds of minutes to a guy like Nawaba, you know, who seems like a low ego guy so far. Like he, I've never heard anything bad about Nawaba. Yeah. Um, I just know that it seems like he had some pride and he had a little bit of immaturity, but I don't I don't think that's necessarily all on him. I think a lot of us don't sure. really understand what they're going through, especially being yeah. on such a pedestal. Because honestly, if I was that good and I was Rodney Hood and I was only playing at blowout victories, I'd be like, hell no, I don't want in this thing either. No, I, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I I even kind of had some, like, empathy or more but, sympathy for what he was yes, going through there. But You have to be a professional, and that's not what he was. I agree. There's that. If that if he was my personal friend, I would totally be, like, in a text message being like, yeah, man, screw that. I am not going in yeah. on that kind of time. But then from the outside, it's kind of like, but you are a professional basketball player. Like you gotta go in when the coach tells you. You know, to go this in. is uh this is gonna be interesting and I bet you'll kinda of find this interesting. You notice trends when you look at player stats as much as me and you probably do. So the Jazz haven't really been good for a couple years, or they haven't been as good as they should have been. And last year they lived up to their expectations, right? Yeah. Yeah. They finally made a splash. Donovan Mitchell came out of his shell and started dominating. And maybe it's also part of Donovan Mitchell's development process. But Rodney Hood, when he came to Cleveland, Utah started winning. Utah finished the season 18 and 6 over that last couple months, whereas they started the season 30 and 28. I don't know if it's Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know if it's that. just a Rodney Hood thing, but he has not been on a team that has it seems truly found success. Because I don't think the Cavs team last year, I know they made it to the I know they made it to the finals, but you only really thought the Cavs were a great basketball team when they were smacking the Raptors. 
when they were playing the Celtics, you weren't like this team is a finals contender. No, yeah, I was I was surprised the Cavs made the finals this year. Like if I if I had had more of a platform when the postseason was going on, I or like before it, I would have definitely made some sort of column about how they weren't going to make the finals. I I was very low on them, and you know LeBron really did carry them. And and what you're saying about the Jazz kind of you know acquiescing once Hood was off that team really does kind of speak volumes to me. I never thought about it that way. I've only I've I've been too micro about it, but. Looking at it in that sort of macro view is really interesting. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about Hood? I, I'm really interested in what you and your thoughts about um, him. I like him as a player. I just feel like there's a lot we haven't seen. Hood needs the ball in his hands, and if you look at every other team, who has the ball in their hands? Ben Simmons has the ball in Best his player. hands. Chris Paul has the ball in his hands. Yeah. Donovan Mitchell are even on second unit players. I'm not necessarily ready to say that Rodney Hood having the ball in his hands for 20 minutes a night is even close to Kemba Walker having it in his hands. Yeah, I, he gets he gets the blinders on too. Like he's not a he's not the best passer. He's got a great body to play defense, although his uh, wingspan isn't super long. Like he's got a good 2K rating for his defense, but like on the on in real life, he doesn't have a huge defensive like, impact. This man has one season averaging over two assists and has played over 20 minutes in every season. That is wild. Yeah, I agree. There's just some things that I'm not sure Rodney Hood is a great, I think if I'm playing one-on-one, I might take Hood. But if I'm playing five-on-five, I'm just not sure Hood's my go-to guy. I think I would rather have Nwaba on the court every time. I'd rather have a gritty, hard-nosed team first type player. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I mean, I just I just looked at um cuz the guy I always like to compare Hood to, I might even mention it a little bit earlier, but is is Oladipo. I think they have I think they have somewhat similar games and I think they've been in somewhat uh similar situations throughout their career. Um I just pulled up Oladipo's stats and even when he was in Orlando, he was uh he was averaging, you know, 4 assists a game, which is a de- like that's a decent yeah. amount on Yeah, that's a decent amount for a two guard and even when he was playing with OKC uh, with Russell Westbrook, it was still 2.6, you know, like that's not awful. Cause a lot of times in OKC, he was just kind of relegated to being the guy who go gets a bucket, you know, with five seconds left on the shot clock after Russ hasn't been able to do anything. For like, yeah. Like the first, like 20 seconds after 20 exactly. seconds of Russ dribbling around, we'll see what Victor can do. Exactly. And so I don't know. Granted, even when Oladipo was in Indiana with like just like whole keys to the show, um, he's still only got to about four point three assists, so only point two assists better than he was doing in Orlando. So me, I like that's kind of where I have hope for Hood is if if he was given that sort of luxury to be the freelance sort of playmaker that Oladipo's gotten the luxury to be in Indiana. Although Oladipo got that sort of opportunity because. Indiana felt that he was worth the Paul George deal. And because of that sort of context, he was able to give himself an opportunity to try that for however many games until they realized that that was a good formula. Hood is not going to find himself in that context. I don't think ever, uh, unless something crazy happens. So maybe my ideas of Hood being like Oladipo will just never actually form because he'll never get that sort of opportunity. Like I, I think it would be kind of nuts for 
somebody to rationally think we should give Hood the keys of the offense, especially this next year. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure he'll ever have the keys to a highly efficient offense, but I could be wrong. He's only 25, almost 26, and uh, maybe he'll be better than I assume, but I don't think Hood's going to lead us anywhere. I think behind Sexton and others, and that's actually what I wanted to ask you next, is when uh, obviously we know our opinions on Hood and know our opinions on Chetty and Love and Nance, so we fit every position on that starting lineup chain besides yeah. the point guard. So I have my own opinions sure. on this, but how long do you think it takes to integrate Sexton before you start him over Hill and almost relegate Hill to like a trade chip? I think you got to start Hill. Um, yeah, coming out the gate. Yeah, I, I mean, that's what I would do. And I, I think that's the kind of coach Tyron Lue is. I think what you got to do is if if the Cavs come out of the gate and there's something like, you know, 5-10, and 10, I think right there you just let Sexton start like start because that's that's not the kind of team you want. You don't want a team that comes out of the gate five and fifteen. You need to make a change, or even five and ten. Sorry, like I think I think a lot of it has to do with just how well Hood works in that sort of facilitator role. Um, because I think if you're putting out a lineup that's like you know Hill, Hood, Osmond, Love, Thompson slash Nance, you, the idea is that you're hoping Hood scores a lot. You're hoping Love facilitates and scores a lot. And then the rest is just icing on the cake. If for some reason that sort of lineup gets stagnant, it's not winning games, and it doesn't look powerful at all in any context on either side of the ball, I think it's worth it just to take a flyer on Sexton. He's a, he's a higher ceiling player than Hill. So if you if you come out the gate with a, with a losing record, you've got to just put Sexton in there and hope he develops into something else. I mean... You, you still have Clarkson on the bench, too. There's another look to give, although I, I would be kind of sick if they put Clarkson in at, the, at a point guard, especially a starting point guard role. Um, but you do have options there. See, I think it is really a lot just about the record um, because the Cavs have put themselves on that sort of, you know, on the limb of wanting to be a contending team and by that, you know, make the playoffs, not contending for the finals. So... I think you've got to play it by ear on that. And I think if you're choosing Hill as your starting point guard, which I think is the smart decision to do, you just, you just see how the team works and you, and you keep it dynamic. I think, I think you got to let guys know this is a dynamic team. The lineup could be changing from game to game. And I think Sexton gets his chance if the team starts to fall, fall below 500. Although I really think a look of Sexton at the one and Hill at the two and maybe getting rid of Hood, um, especially if Hood looks like kind of the problem, especially after you've mentioned that sort of thing about the Jazz being just kind of a mediocre team with Hood and then getting better without him. I, I think it really would be worth trying Sexton at the one, Hill at the two. That way you've got a really great spot-up shooter, which I think Hill is probably better at at this point in his career, being a spot-up shooter at the two and still a decent defender. Um, and then you got Osman, Love, Nanslash, Thompson. I think that's a decent lineup, especially if the if the first one doesn't work out. Uh, yeah, for sure. And I think I think you're right. I think it's very situational as well. I just thought uh, it was an interesting concept. It'll there's no really predicting it, but what, what do you think about though? Like, when do you think Sexton's going to get in that starting lineup? I, I think it's I don't, I really don't think it's a question of if. I really do think it's a question of when. Um, unless, unless he comes out the gate on that bench roll just looking awful, uh, which I, I'm just not going to think about that. That would be too hard to swallow right uh, now. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> but, definitely a possibility too. He, uh, Like I said, 
at the NBA level, it's a lot quicker, and he just needs to really prove that he's got the decision-making tools. I think it would be cool because I know Smith isn't what Smith's been throughout his career the last like year and a half or so. So I think it would be cool to have Sexton yeah. alongside Hill. I think that it's a very good defensive lineup already. It's a good defensive backcourt. And I think, who knows, maybe give it a couple months, maybe 20 games into the season. The Cavs have a really rough stretch about early midseason. So it's I think it's about like 20, 25 games in. Where I think following that stretch or during that stretch, it would be nice to see like a little transition. But I'm not too keen on whenever it happens. I just think Sexton's development on his time on the court would be nice regardless, obviously. What, what do you think about um, Hill playing the two? I mean, he's big. He's got a really long wingspan, which is why I think they liked him a lot. Yeah. I mean, he's got a six foot nine wingspan. So Hill, Hill's a good player. He's, but he's not a playmaker. Like he tried to playmate during the playoffs last year, and it just didn't really happen as well as uh, we would like. So I think Hill's he should be a really good veteran leader, and he should be someone that does score 12, 14 points a game. But I wouldn't expect him to get his own too often. I think he'll defer a lot. Like I just feel like that's his play style. So like I think having Sexton on the court or a hood type would be better. Yeah, yeah, and he's a at least in Sacramento that like the first part of the year he was killing it from the outside. Like he was shooting so well. But that's that's the whole like, reason why I just bring up him playing at the two is just. He seems like he could really transition into a good, weird sort of 3 and D player. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I Especially as his career, because he's kind of getting older. He's probably, what, 30 by now? 32? I Yeah, I don't know. It's definitely – it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Um. Okay, so the next thing I wanted to ask you before we go into ranking the East, and it's okay if you don't have an answer for this, uh, you've talked about potential trades before, so – who would be like the ideal player or players um, that you would like to see the Cavs get um, this year, whether that be an actual player or even just like an archetype of a sort of player. So who, who do you, what type of player do you think this Cavs team is missing? So realistically, I'm still under the impression that the team should do like a mini rebuild within the team. So we have a lot of pieces that because we had LeBron, we added. So the Kyle Korver who may only get, 20 minutes a night we don't necessarily use him like he should be utilized to max capacity and i feel like he would be better on like a philly or a houston or an la so i think this sounds bad but we have such a loaded front court and backcourt that i think we can kind of cut the fat down and really just get to the players that we want long term like possibly nawaba sexton hood players like that i think it's more a feeling of who can we what value can we have for those specific players? Like if you look out West, if we go to Los Angeles, there's one glaring contract on Los Angeles and on Houston with Ryan Anderson and Luol Deng where they're like, holy crap, we got yeah. no, we're getting no production from these players. They really want to get so rid of those guys. Yeah. If Cleveland's like, listen, we'll take a first round pick and a second round pick and we'll just take Luol Deng's contract for J.R. Smith and, George Hill, I would do that. I don't know if management would do that. but And that's not necessarily tanking because you you tank by trading Kevin Love and Colin Sexton. And like you were going to tank if you trade the pick. And you tank if you don't even make an attempt to re-sign Hood, I guess. And 
There's a lot of different ways yeah. to do it, but they proved that they want the rebuild or they want to keep maintaining relevance by getting Sam Decker and extending Kevin Love. So at this point, I think it's okay for them to cut, cut. I guess I want to call it cut the fat, cut what they don't need off. Yeah. No, I I get that. One hundred. I, I like. I'm with you. I I want to see J.R. Smith gone like as soon as possible. I just don't think he's a a healthy presence in a locker room of you know younger players. I, I think I think Smith is, and and he's even shown that with just like his defensive effort. He's better when he's shooting well. How well is J.R. Smith going to shoot on this team? Probably definitely not as well as he has in the last four years. He's not going to be getting looks from like all the gravity that people like Kyrie Irving and LeBron James get, you know, he's going to be able to be focused on a lot more. And I think JR's best situation is on a contending team. So I, I agree. I think J.R. Smith in this kind of context is fat, you know, without a doubt. He's, he's an older guy. I think he's 32 and you're paying him a decent amount of money. And I, I just don't think he's going to have his best season on this Cavs team. And I think if you can just get, I, see, I would really like them to get a true playmaker. I don't know if we necessarily have that. And, I mean, LeBron's been asking for that for the last three years. That's why we signed Darren Williams. But, like, I, you know, Hill's not a real playmaker. Sexton could develop into one. But even him, he's more of a slasher, uh, scoring-type point guard. Granted, he did show a little bit of ability to Want, like the willingness to pass in summer league here and there, especially on the break. I, I thought he was, I thought he was doing a good job of passing on the break here and there. Um, Hood's definitely not a passer. Osmond's not really a passer. You know, I, I think if we could just get a guy that comes in wanting to pass the ball, like a Jose Calderon. I know you've mentioned him before too on in one of your articles that you know he's not here anymore, and that's kind of it's it's strange for the team, but I, a guy like that. I think could be a missing piece. Exactly. I'm not, yeah, not against that at all, but we'll just see how the season it's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot that'll go into it. And I think some teams, I think specifically Philly may start getting a bit desperate as the season goes, because I don't think they will be, a, <laughs> I agree. And yeah, we're, they we're about to talk a great about that. Shooting yeah. team, but they'll be easily one of the best teams in the East. Yeah. Oh, it, I agree. We're really going to see these teams, how much they need shooting and how much they want it. But I think it's all about the value we get for pieces. For sure. So let's move on to ranking the East. I think this is going to be like such a fun conversation. I So I rank them and I'll just go down my top like nine, ten-ish. And then you can do yours and then we'll talk about it. Um, I'll just say right away, when I got to number six, Things started getting really tricky for me, but I, let, let me run down my 10, then you'll do yours, and we'll, we'll figure out what we want to talk about. So for me, I got number one, Boston. Number two, Toronto. Number three, Philadelphia. Four, Indiana. Five, the Bucks. Number six, and like I said, this is where it starts to get dicey for me. I got the Pistons at number six. Number seven, uh, Cavs. I, I really do believe in them. Number eight, I got the Heat. Uh, nine, I got the Wizards. I think they have way more talent than both the Cavs and the Heat, but that locker room is going to be nuts. Um, and then number 10, this is just for fun. I, I think the Nets could have a chance of, of making a little 9, 10, 8 splash. I, like, I'll just say this right now. I think they're going to be a little better than we think. 
Uh, Damari Carroll is a super hard worker. I like him on this Nets team. And like every D'Angelo Russell believer has been saying for the last three years, he could go crazy this year. <laughs> but you, you, run, you run down yours. Um, we're going Celtics number one, uh, Sixers number two, Raptors three, Pacers four, Bucks five. And then I actually have Washington at six. I feel like that locker room is going to be a mess, but I feel like their talent-wise, they're just better than everyone. Uh, I have the Cavs at seven. Then I have Miami. I I just don't – I think Blake okay. Griffin's going to keep taking a step backwards. I don't think Drummond's very good on a contending team. Not a huge Reggie Jackson fan. I, I mean, I'd rather have Kevin Love than all of them. And, like, Campbell Walker's the only person in Charlotte, so – so just at the top, we have Toronto and Philadelphia swapped. So I don't know. I definitely am high on Philadelphia without a doubt. I've got them number three. But I think people are kind of overhyping Philadelphia. I really do. I mean, uh, I can't say for sure what their over-under is. Um, it's around like 54.5, I think. But that number is like the same amount of wins that they got last year. But I think people are forgetting that last year for them to get to like the 50 ish wins they got to, they went on a 16 game winning streak. Like that was not how their season should have gone. I, I don't know. What, why do you, why are you higher on Philadelphia? Um, I think they added some pieces and as many, you probably don't know. I also write for USA today for the Sixers wire. So like I kind of, yeah. I've kind of been watching them a bit more. And they're 52 wins last season. Okay, my bad. They lost Bellinelli and Ilyasova. And they gained Wilson Chandler. Wilson Chandler, it's going to be his first time coming off the bench in a while. And he's a very good defender. And he'll be a good second unit player. And then you add in the development of Joel Embiid. Ben Simmons may have at least a decent shot this year. You add in his development. He says he's working on it. You toss in Markel Fultz, who's supposedly going to be playing big minutes and possibly a starter. And then you also toss in Dario Saric, who has been trending upward, could see 15, 16 points per game. I just think there's so much there. And I'm just not a huge Raptors fan just because Kyle Lowry, I think he's aging. He's probably 30, 31, 32 by now. Yeah, I agree. And then you have Van Vliet, who he's he's all right. And then like their second unit's really good, don't get me wrong. But what if Kawhi Leonard isn't two-time uh, Defense Player of the Year, Kawhi Leonard MVP candidate? You just... I can't, I'm not taking that chance. I'd rather just have them as the third option. Yeah, I, I definitely understand the logic there. It's just that I just think there's a lot of excitement over Philadelphia that's bleeding over into record idealism. I, and I get what you're saying, though, for sure. I mean, I I am minimizing the effect that someone like um, Markel Fultz could have in a Sixers lineup, especially if he's good. I mean, that's going to be such a great locker room thing too and I, I really do think the Phil like the Sixers are a kind of team where you can always overstate a locker room presence in any team but with guys like Joel Embiid like a healthy locker room where they're having fun is is super super positive in the Sixers world I think more so than most teams uh yeah and I think they have a lot of good things going for them for sure so well I mean that's definitely like a we'll see I think the bottom yeah. half is interesting I think it was interesting that you had Washington. You had them out of the yeah. playoffs, right? And you had Detroit in. That was in, that was wild. It's wild. I do. I had I have Detroit at number six. So yeah, I know. I so number six, like like I said, that's where it got really dicey for me. And see, I I I don't like Reggie Jackson either. Who who does? 
but like they're going to have Blake Griffin for the whole year rather than kind of on a out of nowhere deal. I think Blake was kind of hit by that, you know, hit by it sideways. He wasn't necessarily super expecting it. Um, but he's going to have the whole year with them. They're going to have a whole training camp. They got Dwayne Casey, coach of the year, as the new coach. He really maximized that Toronto team. So, and I mean, they got the the first seed. They people really thought they were going to make the finals. They looked like a great, great team. He maximized Demar Derozan, who I do kind of think is a limited player, and and we see that in the playoffs for sure. But I, I think Dwayne Casey's a great coaching mind. I think he's going to be able to put some of these pieces together. I think we're kind of due for a, a good Blake season. I mean, he could always get injured, so there's always the asterisk next to him. But I think I think with Blake and Drummond and Jackson is should not be considered part of a big three by any means, but he's got some talent, and I think maybe with Casey, he could really unlock Jackson's good parts and maybe minimize the bad parts of him. I, I just think they've got the talent to be a six seed in the yeah, East. Yeah, I... I mean, I'm going to respectfully disagree, but I, I don't really look into Detroit basketball yeah. too often, so I can't I can't really back up my claims. I hardly even know who rounds out their – like, do they even <laughs> still start Stanley Johnson? No, he's – at least he's been coming off the bench, I'm pretty sure. But, I mean, Luke Kennard looks pretty decent. He's looked good. I mean, I think last year was his rookie season, maybe his sophomore season, but, like, he – I think he's looked pretty decent. He could turn into something – like, a, at least a good rotational starter – at the very least, I think um, Stanley Johnson needs to add a shot. He's just he's too blah everywhere. He needs to add a shot so that he has some sort of threat to him. I, I do think he could still turn into something. I think he's a piece that the Pistons might trade this year, especially if things start to go a little sour. Because um, I think he's someone that people might take a flyer on. But yeah, I I don't know. I I, I I'm I'm gonna trust that Dwayne Casey knows what he's doing. Um, and I'm going to trust that Blake Griffin is still the all-star that he is kind of perceived to be. So I don't know. I, I think the Pistons, for me at least, besides the Wizards, have the biggest like spectrum of success. You know, they're either going to be, I think, like a a, a four, like a six seed, or you know, bottom like ten. You know, I, I just don't think there's. I don't think they're going to creep into the playoffs. I think they're either going to be a a nice team that's going to kind of make the mid seed mm-hmm. push, or they're going to be that's out. Not, yeah, that's not a bad place to be. I think. Yeah, that lower half. That's why I'm kind of skeptical about the Cavs because that lower half. I feel like a lot of teams have a lot more potential to, like per se, get it right than the Cavs do. Yeah. Well, you have the Wizards at six, which is super funny. That like we kind of have them flip the Pistons and the Wizards. I don't know I if you do. have Pistons at yeah. nine, but um, Wizards are my team. Okay. Yeah, Wizards are my team that are just out of the playoffs only because last year, well, they've showed last year they really just play down to their competition, whoever they're playing. They always they always seem to play down to them or up. You know, they they have great games against Houston. And I just think a team that's already shown that they they didn't get rid of any bad personalities. All they did was just add more. Granted, I do think John Wall is a top point guard in the league. But he's just had a lot of feud around him. He's had a lot of kind of just bad energy around him. And then when you add Dwight, who I like Ben Golliver's actually talked about how like you go, it's hard right now to think about all the teams Dwight Howard's been on. Like it's, it's a tough exercise <laughs> to actually think about all the teams he's gone through. And almost all those teams after he's left, the coach or owner has been fighting. Yeah, there's, 
he's quite quite the athlete. But I mean, it'll make the team culture funny, especially since it was already so bad. <laughs> well, and Austin Rivers is in there too, as like the crazy six man to just stir it all up. Yeah, I don't even more. know what they're doing, but I mean, at the same time, if everyone puts their pride aside and they they could rip off some games, they could be really good. I, like I said, I think they've got the talent to be. I think they've got the talent to be a fifth seed. I could see, like, I think talent wise, I might even like take them over just you know player by player the Bucks. I mean, definitely Giannis. Giannis could like everyone's gonna Giannis could be the MVP this year. Um, I think he's still a couple years out of that, but I don't know. I I really like the Wizards' talent. I used to be a huge Dwight fan, so it's hard for me to even be saying this and everything. But I just think the personalities in that locker room are going to be super. Yeah, I, I tend to agree, honestly. So, I mean, there's just there's toxic personalities, but see if you can put those aside. You got to for the sake of uh, I mean, your all their careers really. See, that's a good point, is that kind of all of these guys' careers are I mean, riding on this season. Rivers and Howard, for sure, are both at the point where, like, if they don't do well in Washington, they will not get another high-profile, high-money chance. Not at all. I, do you want to talk a little bit about the Bucks? I, I think it was interesting that me and you both had them at five. Because um, I, think, I think a lot of people aren't as, like – I think we both have very sobered opinions about the Bucks. <laughs> like having them at five, I feel like is a very just like yes, the Bucks are good, but not that well, good. I think not even yet. with Kawhi Leonard in the East, Giannis is still the, the East's clear best player. So it's like I would I would agree with that. Yeah, I, I like Giannis. There's no possible way a team with the best player in your conference should be outside the top six. Let's say it that way. Sure. Yeah, and Lopez is good, and Middleton's good. I was thinking about. I just think Indiana's too dynamic, especially with Tyreek now. Tyreek is so, so underrated. I, I I tend to agree with that. Although, so I am a little bit uh, – I was a little bit hesitant about putting Indiana at four. We both have them at four. I was actually thinking about maybe switching Indiana and um, Milwaukee. But the only reason being – I like Oladipo a lot. I'm a big believer in him, although there's always like that sort of – I think it's called the glass ceiling – idea where like a team that super outperforms their expectations are bound to come back to earth rather than continue exceeding them um i also think there's an interesting oladipo stat that's uh he was 46.6 percent on pull-up threes and 34.4 percent on regular threes so like i think that kind of points to his mechanics not necessarily being super locked down and so I just worry that he might regress, especially from the outside. And if he's not hitting threes at the rate that he was hitting last year, uh, defenders don't necessarily need to be as close to him. And then his athleticism and that super quick first step become a lot less powerful. And I think if Oladipo loses some of his you know, magic, there's going to be like – a price to pay in Indiana and I could see them falling down to being, you know, bottom six, maybe even bottom seven. That's kind of why I like the Tyreek Evans edition. Cause he averaged almost 20 a game, I believe, or at 20 last season. And like, he's finally been able to shoot the three ball consistently. So I think there's just so much that that team can beat you in so many ways. And miles Turner's underrated. Thaddeus young. He's good. They're Bojan's underrated or Bogdan or which, whichever one that is. Oh, Bogdanovich, I think. <laughs> they're they're I don't, yeah, so no, I good all around. That. I think yeah. they're – Milwaukee is great. Milwaukee has three guys in Lopez, Middleton, 
they have three, four guys that are great, but they don't have a really good bench and they don't really have like, are we really going to consider John Henson that good as like their four, their starting four or wherever he's going to play? I, I don't think he's going to start. I just don't see them like their team isn't that deep considered, considering like the Pacers are that deep. They, they needed Brogdon mm-hmm. last year. Yeah. You know? Like when he was gone, they, they had a they had a really tough time finding people to play that point guard spot, and and I think Eric Bledsoe kind of got exposed in the playoffs. Like Terry Rozier really yeah, didn't number on him. I'm not trusting Bledsoe anymore. I, I I actually used to love him. He used to be one of my favorite players. Neither am I. I have one of those t-shirt jerseys of Bledsoe back when he played for like his early days with Phoenix. He was dynamic. He uses athleticism to get to the rim. He was strong. But it seems he's just seems so like uncertain of his game in Milwaukee. And like when you play with Giannis, you have to be able to shoot. It's kind of the Rodney Hood thing. Is Rodney Hood can't do all the yeah. Rodney Hood fanatics when he's playing with LeBron and it's the same with Giannis. And that's why that's why the Suns would have never been that good. And that's why the Cavs, if they want to keep Hood and make Hood their number one option, will never be that good because your number one option can't be Eric Blood. So like our number one option our number one playmaker can never be Rodney yeah. Hood if we want to win. Which is, that's not even a huge slam against Rodney Hood. That's just literally how you can see throughout his career the team records have gone. Yeah. No, you're right about that. I also trust the Bucks a little more as far as like utilizing uh, a guy like Bledsoe's talents um, with a guy like Budenholzer at the head coach. You know, he's def- I am really low on Jason Kidd as a head coach. Um, and I think I think this is going to be the team that we will actually see a big uh, difference in in coaching and just ability to use all the talent that's on that team. And I think we could see a huge jump in record and maybe see Budenholzer. He's kind of my like way too early pick for coach of the year. Oh uh, yeah, well, I haven't really thought much of coach of the year. I feel like that's so much team based. So like whichever team has breakout players per se and. I don't know. We'll see. We'll definitely see. There's a lot of a lot of good stuff coming. For sure. Um, so I guess the last team we should just hit on is uh, the Heat. Did you also have them at eight? I can't remember. I had the Heat at eight, yes. I think they're gritty enough to be number eight, but I don't even think they're talent-wise better than Detroit. They just – they're always so tenacious and they always find a way in. I didn't even want to have them in the playoffs, but, like, they proved last year that, like, you can't discount them even if they don't have like a pure star, like superstar athlete. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, so I, I, like I say again, the, I had the Wizards at nine. I went back and forth about Wizards, Heat, Cavs in that seven, eight, nine spot. So I like with the Heat, Spolster's a great coach. I think that's there's no denying that he gets the most out of his players. The Heat, I believe, were the sixth seed last year. Yes, but Dragic is going to be another year older. He's going to be 32 this year. Whiteside, I think, is only going to become more disgruntled. <laughs> and Waiters, he's unpredictable. He could have a great season or he could be inefficient and a detriment to the team. Yeah, they have a lot of question marks. A lot of these teams have a lot of question marks. The Cavs have a lot of question marks. So uh, I think we'll just see when the season gets kicked off. It's not too far away now. Yeah, less than 60 days. It's, it's coming up. <laughs> Need some solace in my life. Need some basketball. Yeah, I can't tell if I want to buy League Pass this year. Oh, I'm definitely doing like, that. I got Well, I got There's also Reddit. <laughs> That's fair, too. <laughs> yeah, but the, the Reddit changed their whole their whole thing now, though. It's, it's a little bit different. I don't like it. I haven't it. really checked it out. I've never really been big into it, but 
maybe that's just this just the year to buy uh, the league pass. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, Nathan, if there's nothing else you want to talk about, I guess uh, I guess we'll be we'll be done here. All right, sounds good with me. It was a, well, it was a pleasure coming on, and uh, it was fun talking. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, thank you guys, everyone, to listen for listening. Uh, if you want to send in questions, please send them to kjgpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's kjgpodcast at gmail.com. You can also slip into my DMs at NBA Analyst Doug. And if you want to follow Nathan, you can follow him at Nathan, B E I G H L E underscore. Yeah, gotta you gotta get those followers. You know, you gotta plug everything all the time, all that you can. So with that, you gotta give us some five star reviews on Apple Podcasts so people can find the pod. Mean a lot, guys. Yeah, and that way people aren't accidentally looking up Bible podcasts when they find this. Yeah, we had that so much. Geez. I know. Well, the other thing too is, uh, do you guys only talk about LeBron? <laughs> so it's been a little rough but like it's all we good. can't change the name for other reasons we we're <laughs> about the calves we're not yeah. about the king james version either jeez or the king james god like the actual gospel <laughs> yeah exactly but yeah thank you guys so much for listening it's uh it's always a pleasure nathan thank you so much yeah for sure